Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 370th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this, our eighth year. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. We did. We um, had some friends from the Australian Theatre Group for Thanksgiving afternoon dinner. My son came down from Google in San Francisco, which was great, and I uh, had a couple of Aussie friends come in from Melbourne, and all in all, it was a terrific Thanksgiving. I hope you bought wisely on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I must have missed, admit I didn't. I had one thing I wanted to buy, and I didn't get around to buying it, and I had a look at it today, and it's... more expensive, which really pissed me off, however. But Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they're still shopping bonanzas for for retailers. Uh, MasterCard estimated sales on Black Friday were $23 billion, which is up nearly 10% from last year. That's a pretty big increase. Cyber Monday sales were $8 billion, which is nearly a 20% increase from last year. And uh, traffic at Walmart, Target, Best Buy and Coles was very strong right through the weekend. That suggests that uh, retailers got to lift from a strong economy, convenient new ways to spend your dollars. And, of course, a lot of their competition have all gone out of business. So that gives them better foot traffic. And all five companies... Stock prices rose on Monday, suggesting that uh, investors are pretty confident that this is going to be a good year. Overall, traffic to physical stores dipped about 7% compared with a year ago, but that's pretty good. Transactions on mobile devices were up nearly 60% from last year, and uh, Cyber Monday reached $2.2 billion in sales on phones with uh, more than half of shoppers' visits to retail websites coming from smartphones with people making greater use of shipping options like buy online, pick up in-store, click and collect, etc. They, they were up 65% on Cyber Monday from last year. So now that everybody's pretty much worked out how to maximise sales, on um, Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday, I think next year could be a unbelievable year, could increase dramatically. And, of course, if uh, some of our uh, online salespeople could sell the way that Alibaba does and make it an extravaganza, then I think they would increase even a lot more. Now, Amazon is expected to capture nearly 50% 
of the total US e-commerce markets by year end. And it said it had a record-breaking holiday weekend. Cyber Monday marked the biggest shopping day in its history. Shoppers bought more than 18 million toys and more than 13 million fashion items from Amazon over the weekend. It's pretty fantastic. So it augurs well for a great Christmas for retailers. And here's some more good news. Geez, we've got two good news stories in a row. It looks like a 24-year-old has solved the plastic waste problem. You know, the world's now rapidly realising what a massive problem plastic waste is. Well, the world's realising it. Um, It hasn't sunk in in Washington yet, but the rest of the world does. Corporations are now beginning to act. Plastic bags are being banned around the world. Plastic straws are being rapidly phased out. And uh, the oceans are full of waste to a point where our seafood is contaminated with plastic. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, the, the pollution problem is unbelievable. And the reality is that more than 220 million tonnes of plastic is produced every year. 220 million tonnes, but only 40 million tonnes of that is recycled. <sighs> So, 24-year-old Miranda Wang, the co-founder and CEO of BioSelection, C-E-L-L-E-C-T-I-O-N, has invented a new way to break down plastic waste and prevent it from landing in the ocean. BioSelection focuses on recycling polyethylenes, and, you know, polyethylenes are the most common, but they're the least recyclable type of plastic. And most polyethylenes, like bubble wrap and plastic bags, end up in landfills or in the ocean. And Wang's company, bearing in mind she's 24, just received a $100,000 prize for the invention from UCLA's Institute of the Environment and Sustainability. And they honour innovators under the age of 40. A significant amount of the more than 80% of plastic that is not recycled, roughly 18 billion pounds, ends up in the ocean. Now, BioSelection takes polyethylenes and turns them into chemical building blocks for new products. The company converts plastic packaging into chemical precursors through a catalyst, which can function at a very low temperature, and then purifies the building blocks. Very simple, very easy. Bioselection is not trying to form a new market for recycled materials. They just want to be a high-quality drop-in replacement for existing solutions. Manufacturers don't have to change their supply chain processes to use bioselection products instead of using petrochemicals. And bioselection products process can convert about 99.5% of plastic packaging by weight and the company is still developing its purification process. Wang's team has surpassed 80% purity but needs to reach the 90% range for the solution to be commercial grade. They anticipate that they're going to be able to achieve that in the next six months. 
and other recycling methods have high energy inputs because they operate in the range of 500 to 1,000 degrees Celsius. These processes are very capital intensive because you need a very sensitive machine to be able to handle that sort of temperature. But bioselection pro process can operate at about 120 degrees Celsius. So instead of 1,000 degrees, 120 degrees, much more manageable. It's also narrower in focus than existing alternatives, which take in other types of plastic in addition to polyethylene. The company makes four products ranging from $1,600 per metric tonne to more than $12,000 per metric tonne, and they hope to secure a commercial partnership by just 2020. So this technology can become the pillar of what would enable people around the world to mine landfills for plastics as a new carbon source rather than have to drill for oil to make all the things around us, and that would be a very good thing. Now, do you get my 30-second read daily newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers, and it takes just 30 seconds to read. Well, that's not quite accurate. It really takes about a minute to read. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technologies, subject like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain. We cover it all. And in every newsletter we have a joke. And people love the jokes. Actually, I get more comments about the jokes than I do about the stories. <laughs> anyway, to keep abreast of all new developments in business and technology, do what 1.7 million other people do and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world by getting the Bob Pritchard newsletter. It's really easy. You simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enroll. And if you don't like it, you simply unsubscribe. You know how some emails that you get, newsletters you get, it's almost bloody impossible to unsubscribe no matter what you do. With ours, it's easy. Tick unsubscribe, bingo, you're gone. So it's all good. Now, with a catastrophic climate change report that was released in Washington last Friday, now, you'd be excused if you didn't see it because the Trump administration buried it on um, Good Friday, uh, on Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and uh, the climate report is Black Friday, all right? It is horrible. And uh, they said that solar power is a large part of the answer to moving away from fossil fuel, which is dependent for power supplies. However, having consistent access to solar power, that's been pretty difficult because of the issues of storing. It's been very hard to store power, and particularly for long periods of time. Scientists in Sweden have developed a specialised fluid called a solar thermal fuel that can store energy captured for the sun for over a decade. 
a solar thermal fuel. It's like a rechargeable battery, but instead of electricity, you put sunlight in and you get heat out, and that heat is triggered by demand. Now, um, the exciting liquid is a molecule composed of carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, so it's not that trick. So when sunlight makes contact with the liquid, the bonds between its atoms are rearranged and it transforms into an energised version of itself called an isomer. The sun's energy is then captured between the isomer's strong chemical bonds and, incredibly, the energy stays trapped there even when the molecule cools down to room temperature. To put the trapped energy to use, the liquid is put through a catalyst which returns the molecule to its original form, releasing energy in the form of heat. And the energy in this isomer can now be stored for up to 18 years. And we want to extract the energy from it. It produces a warmth increase greater than expected. The system works as a loop. It's a concave reflector with a pipe at its centre, which tracks the sun position. The liquid's pumped through transparent tubes and is heated by the sun. As it heats up, it changes from its initial form of the molecule norbornadine into its heat-trapping isomer quadrisolane. God, they're hard words, aren't they? The energy for liquid is then stored at room temperature. And when an energy demand occurs, the fluid's pushed through a catalyst that converts the molecules back to their original form, warming the liquid by 63 degrees Celsius. So this warm liquid then has an application in everything from heating systems, powering a building's water heater, dishwashers, clothes dryers, and much, much more. The liquid's then pumped back to the roof to be rescued. So that is pretty fantastic. It means that we can store power for 18 years, which will change everything. My guest after this short break is Blockchain Art Chain Chief Operating Officer, Cameron McQueen. Cameron is a great bloke, very smart, lived in China for a long time, speaks fluent Mandarin. He is a clever little duck. And Art Chain is an outline platform that tracks, protects and ensures accountability for artworks. So just gonna go online, you register, it is really easy. I registered. It uses blockchain, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, and it gives artwork a digital identity. It records transfer of titles between owners, it tracks artist royalties, it um, um, maintains the artwork's value. It enables you to get insurance readily. It enables you to borrow money against your artwork. It is fantastic, and it's called ArtChain. And ArtChain Global is for artists, galleries, auction houses, collectors, art enthusiasts, and anybody who provides service to the art industry. It's a brilliant platform that will truly revolutionise the art industry. Now, this is Bob Pritchard broadcasting across the world this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, and I'll be back in a moment with Cameron McQueen. Do you 
want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. For the last eight years or more, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We've spoken to hundreds of entrepreneurs. We've spoken about the services they provide the challenges that they faced, how they've overcome those challenges. And I, I guess under all of it, what we try to find is what is it that makes these people tick? What is it that makes the people that we talk to that are successful, successful? And why do the other 98% of all entrepreneurs fail? You know, every entrepreneur faces the same issues and challenges. It's just that some seem to handle all the challenges a hell of a lot better than others. And most people think that um, startups fail because either the idea is not good enough or they don't have enough money. And when you look at it, neither of those two things are true. Most startups fail because the entrepreneur who was brilliant at inventing whatever it is that he invented wasn't able to run a successful business where you have to be initially at least the accountant, the HR person, the PR person, the sales person and every other role that uh, a business needs to um, do before they can be successful. So my guest today is blockchain art chain chief operating officer, Cameron McQueen. I was fortunate to catch up with Cameron in Melbourne recently, just a few weeks ago, over a, a few coffees, and uh, he's a really interesting guy, in fact, an extremely interesting guy. He lived in China between 2012 to 2017, and he speaks Mandarin to a fluent bilingual level. He's very bright. He's um, got a Bachelor of Science, and he's an entrepreneur and business professional with very extensive experience. He's been involved in lots of businesses across multiple fields of technology and import and finance and insurance and property development. He's just one of those clever bunnies that is good at lots of stuff. Cameron's over 15 years of leadership experience, team building, business development and strategy experience. And this explains why he's successful, because he has done 
all of the different aspects of business. I know, and I've told you all this story before, when my son left college with fantastic credentials, he was going to go into a startup, and um, Tim Draper, who, as everybody knows, was responsible for Hotmail and is a major investor in dozens of big projects, including Baidu, Tesla, um, Skype, and a whole bunch of others, one of the most successful venture capitalists in the world. Tim said, Hunter, go out and get yourself a job in one of the big three or four big accountancy business consulting firms before you go out into a um, an entrepreneurial capacity because you'll learn all the things that you need to know when you become an entrepreneur and that's what he's done and now he's um, flourishing at Google and uh, Tim's advice was brilliant. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, if you've had previous experience, that's great. But if you haven't had previous experience, make sure you get yourself a mentor or several mentors. I've had mentors for about 30 or 40 years and they're people that are experienced. They're people that have been out there in the tough world and have done the hard yards and can give you really good advice. I meet so many people who get mentors who are their cousins, their uncles, their brothers, their fathers, their mothers, who know absolutely four-fifths of fuck all about business and they don't get good advice. So listen to people like Cameron and buy yourself biographies of successful people Get yourself some mentors and you'll be in pretty good shape. Now, Art Chain, it's a really fascinating program, really, really smart and the right thing at the right time. It's an online platform that tracks, protects and ensures accountability for artwork. You know, the world's, it's a huge business art and uh, I know that reading an article just recently that something like 30% of all of the art hung in galleries around the world is fake and yet has been passed by so-called experts as being real. And uh, so we need accountability. We need to be able to track um, ownership. And at the moment, there isn't any real way to do it. So ArtChain uses blockchain, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, and it gives artwork a digital identity, enables transfer titles between owners, and track artists' royalties, make sure everybody gets paid. And ArtChain Global is for artists, it's for galleries, auction houses, collectors, art enthusiasts, everybody that is providing services to the art industry. And Cameron's helping lead the way to deliver blockchain technology to the art world for the mutual benefit of everybody involved. I think it's a bloody brilliant idea. Hi, Cameron. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Thank you, Bob. Fantastic to be here. And uh, I think you've actually you've done a great job. You've summed it all up. Um, I'm not even sure my job is necessary here, mate. It's um, that was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. Um, as I as I mentioned, I really enjoyed our um, coffees in Melbourne. I, I I learned a hell of a lot during that period. And uh, oh, so brilliant. What what is Art Chain Global, and how did you 
have you got a history in art or how did you get into the art world? That's a really good question. Really good question. And um, you know, thanks for popping a bit of the, the background information on there. So, yeah, I've, it's a funny way to get into this technology. Um, I've been watching blockchain and people might laugh, but my um, actually my dad who's a bit over 70, I mean, he's late 60s, he was telling me all about Bitcoin and Ethereum and how I should be looking at this and it's going to be the future. And, and at, the, at the time I was living in China and visiting and each time I'd visit, he's, uh, he's saying, have a look at this and read these articles. I'm saying, dad, I'm just back here for a few days. I haven't got time for this sort of stuff, but I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I better have a bit more of a look into it. And, and so I guess my, my interest grew. So it's a bit of a weird way to get into it, but my interest kept growing. And in China, it's just, I mean, everything in China is on steroids. It's a, when you talk about blockchain technology, you talk about developing systems for business and these guys are at the forefront yeah. and they have the manpower. So there's just so much happening in that space. Um, and returning back to Australia, um, I was teamed up with some, some venture capitalists, some guys that I've been doing some, some work with in China. And uh, a lot of them are art investors and art enthusiasts. So I am not from the art world. Right. I am from the technology world and I love business. And so the concept, the concept of, um, of using blockchain in art was, was, was quite early in its development, but we were looking at it from the point of view of how can you, how can you track high-valued pieces of art as they're sent around the world? So this is just one tiny component of ArtChain Global. Um, but initially we're looking, how, if I buy a painting for 50 grand and I, I buy it from LA, but I'm actually living in Sydney in Australia, how do I how do I ensure myself that that, that thing is going to be the same one that arrives, and can I see it as it's in transit? And really, that's how that's how it all began. And we started investigating and talking to people with with the technology. Um, start working with some universities who are the potential for developing the technology, and um, and then boom, that was that was all twelve months ago. Wow, it's all happened. It's all happened pretty quickly, huh? It's been the most intense 12 months of my life. I thought I'd been busy in the past. I'd done a lot of, lot of all-nighters, uh, but this is, this is a new level. It's so, um, technology developing fast, and you've got people all around the world. And, and as you said, the, the art industry is so big. It's a, it is a trillion-dollar industry. It's where you've got a lot of money and a lot of people with um, a lot of resources, then, <clears throat> then, there, then there's a lot of interest in this space. Yeah, for example, last week, what they find a... Um a Rembrandt or something underneath a tree somewhere, and it was uh, was found to be a fake. Um, but at the moment, there's no real way to track it. There's no well, there's not any real way. There's no way to track that piece of art and work out who owned it or anything about it. Is there? It's really difficult. It's really difficult. There's a lot of professionals. Obviously, there's a lot of professionals in the industry. It's it is big, and you've got the big auction houses with their with their pro teams. And I think you and I had a good a good chat about you know yeah. the the reality of some of these are some of these are, are genuinely fakes. They, yeah, that's they, right. They really are, but forced through the system. Yeah. Um, so and I was about to say, I mean, from, from, sorry, I was about to say from from our point of view, it's it's it is extremely difficult to go backwards in time. I mean, you've kind of got to consider look what what's done is done. Yeah. But as we move forwards, we can draw a line in the sand with this technology, and we can um, we can say moving forwards from the end of 2018 or the start of 2019, artists, galleries, auction houses, people, and businesses who cooperate with our system are actually able to authenticate. Um, and they're able to basically put their stamp on there and say this thing is going on there as a as a first to market product or first to market uh, 
painting or sculpture or whatever. And from here on in, we can track the authenticity. We can track the provenance, the history of ownership and, yep. and the title moving forward. So I'll, in a moment, I'll, I'll explain some of that technology behind there. And you can, if, um, if I buy a painting off you or a piece of sculpture off you, then that's automatically uh, recorded on the blockchain, which can't be interfered with and can't be changed. So it's there for all time. Yeah, so by, by its nature, you know, once, once a block of information is created, um, you, you can't sort of hack into that and, and, and alter it. So, so what that original artist or gallery is able to, to, to enter in, um, the data that they're able to upload in the beginning and authenticate from day one, um, you, you, can't, you can't alter that. You, obviously, you can add to it. You can, you can add the, the new owner through time, um, but we're going to be able to look back and say, yep, this thing was owned for three years by this guy and two years by that guy. And so that's, that's really where the, the value in, in high-value art is. is um, you know, good, good full provenance is maximum value. Little or no provenance is, is much less value. So the big guys control the art world to a large degree and control a lot of the shenanigans that go on in the art world and uh, every time you hear about a major fraud it always seems to be a, a gallery or a somebody that's recognized and respected in the industry that's behind it and of course you've got your Sotheby's and, and co how are they reacting to art chain global are they enthusiastically welcoming you or are you just going to be a pain in their side that makes it more difficult for them to cheat and lie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good, good question because I, I know they know that we're out there and I, and I guess um, until this point in time, they're, um, let's say they're turning a bit of a blind eye to it. I know that they are developing their own chains as well. I mean, it's, it's not so difficult to develop your own, your own sure. blockchain um, these days. So it, it kind of um, makes sense that they would, but I mean, there's there's all sorts of different thinking in this industry. There's there's, there's businesses out there now that are creating digital titles, and I, and I say, well, that's that's wonderful. But if you create a digital title for something that's already 50 years old, yep. then you're putting a title on something that who knows who, who knows where that came from. Um, there's other businesses that are just operating as a trading platform with no blockchain functionality at all, and that's that's great. Um, but we're kind of unique in that we are we're offering to the whole industry a, a chance to track, a chance to transact, um, and a chance to, even if you're an unknown artist, you, you can you can get on board there and you've got a, a growing and wide audience, uh, lot, lots, lots more eyeballs who are going to be able to look, and they're looking with trust because they know that it's authenticated from day one and uh, and it will be recorded into the future. So, so if um, I'm probably... Uh, yes, go on. No, I was, was going to say, probably, uh, probably at this point in time, it's appropriate to to discuss I mean how are we physically tying a piece of painted art to a digital system yeah that's what I was going and that is work. so we're yeah so we're cooperating with with one of the leading universities in Australia and um, with just a little bit of coincidence last year that a couple of the universities were looking to to open new laboratories that specialize in in blockchain and internet of things and in particular artificial intelligence and we sort of happened to be, it was maybe it was a little bit of luck, um, which is sometimes you need a bit of that, um, that we, we met Swinburne, Swinburne University in Melbourne, and they were actively looking for um, something to sink their teeth into and, and basically be a bit of a flagship for this, new, for this new innovation hub that they were launching. Right. And, um, 
so when we when we've met them, so we, this this was sort of the linchpin for us as to how do we physically attach and and know for sure that this this image that we could take of a physical painting, how can we get that and 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 put that in a digital environment? So the artificial intelligence system's been created and and built all of this year, and it's going through some 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 training phase at the moment. Sounds weird, but we're we're training the computer system to to read the artwork. And it maps, I think, at this point in time, it's mapping about 10,000 pixels of each of each piece of art. And then when you're using blockchain, people might be familiar at this point in time with smart contracts. So yep. for a smart contract to, to work, we have a, you have to have obviously the buyer and the seller. And when the buyer receives the goods, they're able to use our system to take another image of that piece of art. And the system, the AI will, will read that new image and it will tell them if that is the original authentic one that has been sent or not so it doesn't matter how good a forger you are you'll never get the colors and the paint to be in the exact same spots as the pixels on the original that is very interesting that is incredible because that means no more forgeries well it could be forgeries but they would be they would be marked as an original themselves they would be exposed yeah they'll be exposed that's it's too easy now to tell if it's a fake one right so, How good that? yeah, that, that's really cool. I have a vested interest in, in this area. I'm not going to go into it necessarily now, but and uh, I think it's I think it's very cool. So once if, if I'm a, a um, an up and coming artist and I register with you guys, um, can people come on and look at the artworks that you've got registered and therefore put in offers of buy them, or are you going to have a, a buying and selling section of the of the um, website, or are you simply a registration operation? It's a good question. Good question. So to to put it simply, um, if you're an up and coming artist, so you would you would create your account. So you have to go through a, a KYC, like an onboarding, yeah. know your client. Yep. Um, we want to make sure we're dealing with with real people. Sure. And and then there will there will actually be not to complicate it, but there will be another sort of level of KYC to be able to transact and interact with with cryptocurrencies in in the future. Yes. Um, which is being put together now. But essentially, there's three levels of the of the blockchain. One is a let's say a private mode. So you might be a, a have some family heirlooms, something that's been passed down, worth a lot of money, but you don't want anyone to to see that. But you'd like it to be tracked on blockchain, maybe for the future, for, for insurance purposes. Yep. So that could be in a private mode. Then then you have like a public mode. So you could consider that like a museum, if you like, where most artwork in a museum is not for sale, never will be. Yes. Maybe, but but, but typically not. Um, and so people will be able to, to, to get on and have a look and... Um, and they could they could admire they could even um, in the future they they will be able to comment in a very controlled way, um, but I, I guess most artists are going to be coming on board to use the top level of the platform, which is the the trading platform. Right. And that's where they'll upload and they will be able to choose the amount of information they disclose. But it's typically going to be you know, as much as they can to to, to provide a, a good starting point for that for that provenance. Um, and so that's where they'll put the price, the sell price, the their terms, etc., will be on there as well as as much information as they can about the, the piece that they've uploaded. Well, that's terrific. Can you you can also use this obviously for digital art. Absolutely, if you consider yeah, you know, digital system, it's it's kind of perfectly matched for digital art. 
absolutely couldn't yeah. be better. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a perfect unison for, uh, for digital art. I guess also using um, ArtChain, you, you've got a – if you buy a piece of art, then you've, um, you have the price you paid – on the on the blockchain, so therefore that's enables you to borrow against it, presumably, and to also um, give you better grounds for insurance. You're on more yeah, spot on. turf. So, what are, what are all the benefits that come with um, uh, listing on Archain? So, there's one hidden benefit that we weren't really aware of initially until we got a lot of artist feedback, but. One of these things is um, is royalties, which is very different in different countries. I think in the US, um, I think that the whole government sort of done away with the royalty program. Um, but across Europe and particularly in Australia, it's it's run from a government level. So the law is any artwork that is over that's that's resold at a value of over one thousand Australian dollars, the original artist or the descendants of the original artist for seventy years after death, are entitled to 5%. So if that's a $500 artwork, well, it's not really much. But if it's like a lot of these uh, famous artists, of so $50,000, $100,000, $300,000, yes. um, if, if multiple, it's happening multiple times a year, that's, that's a, a good chunk of money that the, that the artist is entitled to. So our system, as a title, as a digital title is being transferred, it's actually able to um, let the artist know and, to, and in certain circumstances automatically pay them. Um, so we're cooperating with some of the government bodies for, for that for that payment gateway, which is great. And then you've got, as you mentioned, insurance and asset-backed lending. So one of the difficulties in art is 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 a getting the correct insurance for uh, for your artwork. Um, so now an insurance company is easily going to be able to dial in and yep. got the phone there dialing in. Yeah. Um, the insurance company is going to be easily able to, to look in and see that you own the title, see what you paid for it, and that it is a real real item. Right. So that's easy to give you a quote. But also, also if something is stolen or burned or whatever, then then it's much easier to to show the insurance company and the police that you actually it was yeah, your asset. It was, it's was not a fake. Yeah. So what if um, are you going to work with an insurance company, or are you going to offer insurance? through our chain or, you know, obviously through an insurer, but you're going to have your own insurance? Uh, again, it's, it's different for different parts of the world. So we, we are we are talking to insurance companies. We haven't sort of mapped out a, a global offering as yet. Mm. Um, but I, I think I think to start with, this is going to be a, a fast evolving platform. Um, sure. So it's, it's going to look a lot different in one year and two years from now. But there will be a number of um, you know, suggested partners who understand this space that we will recommend initially, and hopefully in the near future we can put together some, 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 some deals. And even as you mentioned, asset-backed lending. I mean, this is a, a growing area. If you've got a, a half million dollar piece of artwork hanging on the wall, um, you can't necessarily doing anything with that if a if a finance company doesn't understand it. But if you've got an, an asset-backed lender who can, using smart contracts, they can even um, apportion. You know. 49 or 50 percent of the of the value of that to themselves they yes. can digitally own that then then you're at, it's easier to to lend some money out against uh, that item that is very interesting yes of course you can yeah you can apportion whatever it is the percentage of the lend and it's then it's recorded through 
Yeah, very smart. So it, it would pay you, wouldn't it, to have um, um, white label art chain global um, insurance and um, and lenders, and that. It would be, yeah, it would be great. I mean, yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day, so we're trying our best, but there's so much to do at this point in time. Okay. And we're literally, um, literally in the, in, the, in the final couple of weeks before um, this is going to sort of an international launch. So um, very, very busy. Um, but, yeah, lots of conversations around that happening at the moment. But let's, let's see into the near future where they go. Well, what you need to do is just get up earlier and bloody work harder. Yeah, I already get up at about four or four thirty most days, boss. So trying, I'm trying to trying to squeeze it in. <laughs> it um, trying it 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 actually is makes your artwork extremely secure, doesn't it? Because you know, like a lot of people, for example, in Los Angeles here, um, in the fires, lost enormous amounts of art, and uh, because the places that burnt were all wealthy areas, the Malibus and the Calabasas where um, the very wealthy live and apparently a huge amount of very valuable art was lost. But if they were registered on Art Chain Global, it, well, the art would still be lost, but you would have a very easy recourse to get insurance money. Absolutely, yeah. And then, look, we could have, for things over a certain value, we can even attach those Internet of Things tracking devices. So it would be really easy in the future to prove exactly where that piece of art was at that point in time. But, yeah, you're right. Um, if they're not recorded on, on, on the chain or on the blockchain somewhere, that's, that's, it is difficult. And, and I can see a lot of, there's a lot of terrible insurance claims to be coming through and there'll be a lot of fighting for maybe one or two years to come. Yeah. A lot of fighting. I've, I've been working with some, some people here recently who had, um, there's one guy bought, he actually bought about eight or nine pieces from an artist who over a period of about 10 years became very famous and he bought them originally for a few hundred dollars, but each piece is worth about fifteen to 20000 Right. And half of them were stolen. And it took him more than a year to convince the insurance companies of their value and the fact that he did own them. Mm. Um, it, was, it was terrible. It was a, a, he wasted weeks and weeks and weeks um, getting certificates from the, from the artist. Uh, and luckily, the artist is obviously still alive to be able to sign off. Yeah. on these things and, and the fact that she remembered him and this it was very complicated but so we can strip all of that away um, with yeah. the system because what most of us do now is walk around and take photographs of all the art in our wall um but and hopefully you've got some provenance and photograph that too but for for most art i mean if, if my place burnt down trying to convince the police and then the insurance company that of what you had and what it was worth seems like an almost impossible job uh, I, I just I feel for these people around LA now. It's just it's a terrible, yeah. it's a terrible thing to go through. And not only just losing your house, but then getting into involved in all these arguments that you'd love not to have. Yeah. So, what are the major challenges that you've um, you've run up against in in getting this going? Oh, that's a great question. I think I mean there's a lot of challenges. There's, that there will be a lot of resistance from certain parts of the of the art world or art community, I guess, to begin with. Um, I think there's challenges around, uh, I mean, in particular the last six, 12 months in, in terms of the blockchain and cryptocurrency world, there's a lot of scepticism there. Um, as, as we're discussing earlier, I mean, there's, there's some parts of the world where it's very normal. Um, you mentioned parts of Russia, I think, earlier on yeah. that uh, 
where you know, buying flowers or something with, with cryptocurrency is normal, but there's other places where it's completely abnormal. So we're not trying to push. We're, we're trying to integrate credit cards and PayPal and, and these sorts of things as well. Um, but I think just getting people to get, getting people to get used to a, a new a new way of doing things that in itself will be a challenge. Yeah. Um, so so let's say, and, and also the way the way this the art world works is it's it's like the sporting world where you've got you know ten percent of the golfers make ninety percent of the money and ten percent of the you know the NASCAR racers make ninety percent of the money. It's, it's it's the same sort of thing where here where ten percent of the artists really control the the bulk of the of the money flying around the world in, in the art space. So we don't want them to feel like they're being sort of uh, lumped in and thrown in with 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 the mish, you know, with the with the rest of the world. If that makes any sense. With the riffraff, so I think. <laughs> with the riffraff, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, so so we've got to make sure the messaging is is right there. But um, we've got a lot of high profile artists who are, are loving what we're doing and. Uh, and it's and it's excellent working with them because they very clearly know how this industry works and, and they're able to help steer us in the right direction. Now you, you you've been very successful in a number of businesses, but did you need to raise money to get this venture going? Yeah, yes we did, yes we did, and um, and we're actually doing we're actually we're actually redoing it again uh, at this point in time. So. That in itself is a bit of a challenge. Um, we, we did raise some money initially going down the line of looking at this as an ICO, but we decided not to do that and we actually gave most of that money back. Right. So we're turning this into more, more of a traditional business model because um, it's, it's a real thing. It's a, it's a real platform. It's not a – we don't want to be lumped into that ICO world where it's blockchain and crypto and that's the thing. We want this to be perceived as a, as a real legitimate, um, you know, thing for, for, for the world that, um, that, that's there as a, as a value add and a service. The, um, if people, what sort of people do you need now to get involved with Chain Global? Are you looking for uh, artists the most important element now or are there other elements that are equally as important? Another good question. So, yeah, we, we actually have many thousands of artists that are coming on board and pre-registering. Right. Um, and so I think moving over the next month or two, it's it's going to be a little bit of a, a challenge to, to balance this out because it's a little bit of chicken and egg, isn't it? When you sure. you want the artists to be there, but we also need the buyers to to jump on <clears throat> and get involved very quickly as well. And if the if the buyers are not there in in huge numbers, um, then then the artists maybe are not so interested. So so it's uh, it's it's balancing all that out. What what's your principal means of um, of promoting this? Um, well, it's, there's a lot of social media activity um, that's been ramping up, and right. that's that's poised to, uh, to to have sort of turbo boosters put onto it in the next couple of months, and that's sort of the way you're able to to target people in the industry sure. um, directly to their to their phone, I guess, if you like. But but also industry industry news. Um, so Art World, as you know, has a yep. has a great um, a great uh, media and following, and a number of magazines and online magazines. So will be across all of those. Right. So what, what's your main um, vehicle with social media? Um, well, different parts of the world. So Facebook is, is obviously huge in the, in the States and the, the Western world. Yes. Um, and then you've got WeChat across yep. the, the Asian part. We're, we're very big in, in China. Yep. So we have, uh, I think we have, we have quite a few hundred WeChat groups um, 
where a lot of artists are getting involved there. And um, so in, across China, there's there's some great associations that one association comes on board and they bring you know two three thousand artists along with them, um, which is which is brilliant for us to to get a lot of volume really quickly. So, um, but the, I think I think Facebook Facebook is super powerful these days. Facebook is amazing, and everybody says the same thing to me. If you want to sell product, Facebook's the best way to go about it. Um, so, when do you when do you see this kicking off? So, we're in a, a testing phase at the moment, actually. So, we're pressure testing. Um, we have, I think, we have about we have about one thousand five hundred transactions a second capability through this blockchain, right? Um, and the actual, all the user interface, everything is, is having a, a test run at the moment. So we've probably got a few more weeks of that and we're aiming to aiming to launch at some point. I'm, I'll just be realistic, it's going to be sort of late December slash early January. It'll be a bit of a soft launch, I think, approach. And once we're confident, then we'll, we'll really start to push it out there. So who do, you, who do you want to register? I must admit, I went on the other day and I registered and uh, it's very easy. But what sort of people do you want to register? You want people who are just interested in art, people who are looking for art, people who are artists. What, what sort of people do you want to get on there? And yeah, register? look, all all of the above. So anyone involved in that in that ecosystem can go to artchainglobal.com. Yep, and they can register. They can choose from the drop down boxes. So if if you are an artist, I, I would encourage you to get on there nice and early. And then there's a nice series of emails that um, that start to come out each each uh, each week or so, just to sort of um, slowly build a little bit of that knowledge and education because it's 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 highly complicated and we don't want to send people a a 20 page email but just a, some some nice little messages that just point out what this is and how it works and and how people can um, can get involved and get the most out of it um, into the future. Okay, Cameron, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. As I said, I, I got on to Art Chain Global and I registered and it's really, really easy and if I can do it, anybody can do it. So get on to artchainglobal.com, that's A-R-T-C-H-A-I-N, global as in G-L-O-B-A-L.com and register and keep your eyes and ears open because it's going to be big. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're coming at you on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in the technology and entertainment capital of the world, Hollywood, California. Social consciousness is at peak levels. Individuals are energised, but so are companies. The role of companies engaged in corporate social responsibility, well, I guess it signals a longer, longer term shift. More than ever before, the C-suite finds itself with a unique platform and an expectation from growing numbers of employees 
to shape societal discourse going beyond traditionally defined CSR to address society issues at every stage of their value chains. For example, more than 135 employers, including Walmart, Levi Strauss, Tyson Foods, Patagonia, etc., have launched campaigns to promote civil engagement and paid leave to facilitating voting in elections. So across the board. Now, this presents a tremendous challenge for them to pursue broader societal objectives in a way that can accrue to their commercial success. Yet many executives fear public retribution for sharing their convictions and that often stops them from speaking up. So why do they do it? Two reasons. The first is that investors increasingly want companies to adopt a triple bottom line. There's a growing number of socially conscious investors investors who see environmental, social and governance issues as criteria for their investing, in addition, of course, to meeting financial performance goals. Secondly, investors are avoiding putting their money into industries that do not align with their values and are also using their investment positions to push what they see as positive corporate change with broader societal impact. I think the reality is that corporations can do a hell of a lot more to improve society than business can. Business just seems to have such vested interests. Um, um, Government seems to have such vested interests today that I'm not sure that they can ever govern and produce a result for all the people. Now, while 78% of investors think that business leaders should publicly advocate for policy positions that would improve economic and social outcomes, even more, 81%, think executives should work directly with government leaders on developing these policies. Further, 75% of investors believe that businesses are more efficient than governments at achieving positive outcomes. I could not agree more. The 2018 Edelman Trust Barometer shows that citizens expect business leaders to be proactive about social change and employees are increasingly turning to CEOs for guidance on broader social issues. And particularly younger consumers, they're increasingly voting with their wallets for value-based, sustainable and socially conscious brands. So brands that are more closely associated with these values like Tom's, Brilliant Earth, Starbucks are far more likely to carve out a competitive advantage. So how can executives speak up without upsetting constituents? There's two potential strategies. First, focus on the local impact of a company's actions. So just work locally just in the communities from which you source, produce and sell. Secondly, focus on solutions rather than rhetoric. Focus on positive, actionable and discernible initiatives. Don't just talk about it. Nike and Anheuser-Busch are just two examples of companies that have set ambitious sustainability goals, committing to 100% renewable energy use by 2025. The impact of this is very substantial. So 
the benefit of the triple bottom line measuring fiscal environment and social performance is quite clear. Now remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. If you're always trying to be normal, you're always going to be boring. I hope you can join me again next Tuesday while I'll be broadcasting from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, have a great weekend. Continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.